Hello and welcome to episode 97 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fan's weekly off-topic podcast. Or maybe we're a bit more on topic this week. Um, so, it's part two of Grim Fandango. We finally returned back to the underworld, the eighth underworld. And joining me, we are a man down. Josh has been unable to join us this time, but you know, two fantastic regulars of Retro Encounter have joined me. I'm Alana Hagues, Diving Falcons on the Board, and with me is Mike Salosi. Hello, Mike Salosi, Monsoon on the Boards. You've heard me on many Retro Encounters before, if you've listened to many Retro Encounters before. <laughs> and also joining me is Marcos Gaspar. Howdy there, Wild Armor on the Boards. I used to do it back in the day, but you Wimper Snappers have been doing just fine without me. Marcos, yeah. I, I want I want you on every episode, Marcos. You just, you just break my heart every time. <laughs> we need to pick more obscure stuff for you. So if we throw Grandia at you or Resonance of Fate or Wild Arms, then maybe yeah. maybe yeah. we'll yeah, come. Yeah, Marcos, you did like off. Darksiders and Terra Enigma and and a, and a, a bunch a bunch of off the beaten path games. I'll 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 get you on a Resonance of Fate episode or something one of these days. I only play the most hippest and most unknownest <laughs> of RPGs. <laughs> Or things like this. If we ever do an episode on uh, Bumpy Trot, then Marcos is going to have to host it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't mind doing that. That's something. I uh, that's Steambot Chronicles for those yeah, who, mm-hmm. in America. I, I just think Bumpy Trot is a much easier name to remember than Steambot Chronicles. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I like Bumpy Trot a lot more. Uh, I'm really confused why they did Steambot Chronicles. Yep. All right. So <laughs> maybe we should actually talk about the game we're supposed to talk about. Yeah. Focus, <laughs> let's focus on this offbeat one. Oh, I wouldn't have this with anybody else. But, so, Grim Fandango. So, last episode, we focused on years one and two of Manny's adventures to rescue uh, Meche. And we're on to years three and four. We followed him from his home city all the way through Rubicava to the ends of the world and back. And now he's happy where he wants to be. So, we'll start with year three. We'll gradually work through the year three and year four. And then we'll go over some more general points of the... um, game itself because quite a lot happens between year three and four so in terms of year three it's um manny's left rubicava where he is set up base with a uh, bar and he has chased after meche who was being carted away in a boat by a domino so the game starts off on a ship which <laughs> my favorite character who we will talk about later glottis has very kindly decked up and made to look like some glorious um powerboat but um well gladys literally we... exists exists to drive fast and make things go faster so he, so he, he was having a ball upgrading that boat he does he's he makes me so happy he just takes pleasure in the small things we were reminiscing before this podcast we recorded the first episode a few weeks before this um we actually didn't talk about glottis in the last episode and we all kind of agree that he's one of the best parts of the game so we'll definitely dedicate some few a few minutes to him but uh year three is what takes you out of the comfort of cities really because year one and year two are set in the main city and also set in which names escaped me and then you've got ruby carver which is year two so year three is set between a boat the ocean and the end of the world basically so things start off quite dramatically and you have to basically tear a hole in the boat just to escape um from i believe it's domino or somebody is chasing you so things start off fairly easily puzzle wise i think if you're, i'm right we were um you're, you're being chased by agents of hector and domino that's who, right yeah who are who are disguised as customs officers <laughs> 
and that they're um part. they're they're about to sprout you and Gladys drags you off and then you solve that weird anchor puzzle to scuttle yeah. your own ship and jump and get into the ocean. That's right. And um, I, there was a moment that actually made me really sad for a second because uh I forget what the old name of the ship was, but um sometime in the year oh. between two and three he renames the ship Lola. And yeah. and while him and Gladys are going to the bottom of the sea and they see their shink their shink sip whoops their their ship <laughs> sink, I'm sorry their ship sink. They uh, Manny goes, oh Lola, I'm sorry, I let you down again. And that just made me think of the emotional Lola death scene from Year Two. And man, oh, this yeah, of course. This, this game can, really kills it with the one-liners sometimes, man. Yeah, it really does. The script is fantastic for this game, and I'm sure that's something we'll go over quite a bit as we go towards the end oh, but yeah. year three is a bit of a model for me so it throws you between three different locations so the first part of the game is set on the boat which uh, chapter is set on the boat which is fairly brief um the second part oddly enough is set under the sea where you meet a sea monkey i believe chipito who is a quite a quirky <laughs> character i'm i'm a big fan of chipito and his lovely little song as he wanders around and then lastly you end up in Domino's office at the edge of the world. So Chipito has um, a rough has a rough go of things. He does have a rough go of things. He makes a good or tries to make friends with a big octopus <laughs> in the Hest of Fanny. So yeah, poor Chipito. Um, so we got any kind of overriding feelings about this chapter or? Um. Well, I I uh, it, it you make a good point that it goes between three locations, Alana, and you basically go from location to location like it's like it's three separate chapters. And that yeah. felt like a different pace or a different vibe than year one and year two, because in year one, you do a lot of um, messing around in El Mero, in like oh, your cool. in, in like your office and the street and the and like on the and the side alley of your building. It's like a it's a bit of a sandbox to play in. And all of year two, it's a giant sandbox where you're running all over Rubicava and it's some areas that are even hard to find. Uh, and it really feels like sort of a non-linear, explore-everything, get-to-know-the-setting kind of gameplay, even uh, less so in the forest section in year one. But yeah. um, year three is a little bit more linear because you're sort of hurtling towards a story finish instead of finding a way out of where you are. And uh, it, it's yeah. uh, so like the pace of just moving around and the puzzle solving is different in year three, and me, and I think it's probably because I'm very attached to Rubicava, and year two is by far my favorite year of the of this mm. game. Um, that uh, I, I didn't like year three as much as one or two. I think. No, it's a lot more contained, and um, I think I grew like you. I grew very attached to the people who lived in Rubicava. Like every single character in Rubicava. Yeah. <laughs> had a personality and had a purpose and we'll go back to some of them a little bit later as well but yeah year three was a bit of an up and down for me so i kind of enjoyed the first half of it a little bit um i love chapito i like the way that he pops up later on as well um the two, little, the two of... little kids that are making light bulbs are, yeah. are, are cool little npcs <laughs> they're, they're quite delightful as well um but yeah the linearity of it while i think we spent a lot of the last episode complaining about how vague some of the puzzles are because of how open the world is this time was a little bit like oh so there's really only like one or two things you can do to get to the answer really so i was looking up before uh we recorded and tim schaefer at the time when he was making this game developed this kind of non-linear puzzle sequence so 
there are quite a few puzzles in the game that you don't have to do in a particular order or have to find the solution in a particular order in yeah there yeah. was some of that yeah there was some all, of that in this all, all of all of year two i think you could have done that in a large mm. variety of orders and then we, we, oh, we, yeah. we can talk about i have a specific thing to talk about at year two but we can um we can do that later it's uh yeah th these puzzles are are less going around and finding the puzzles and finding out what you need to do and more these are your goals here's a puzzle solve the puzzle continue yeah um if Marcus, is there anything that sticks out to you about year three or um for me it was, I, I I don't know, for me, like I I just got like really lost with some of the puzzles. Like one of them was uh, when you're breaking into uh the safe to get Mechi. Uh it's like Ooh. oh yeah, it's like all right, just do this. All right, turn it, all right, I got it, I got it. And then I try to open it. No. I was like, What am I doing wrong? And yeah. then I noticed, didn't you have to put your scythe? Like right, like in that that mechanism, so you can open yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, you have to get them flat and then put the scythe in to open the door, and then open the door while the scythe was in it. So yeah, yeah. and I was like, "What am I doing wrong? Why am I feeling so bad?" <laughs> and like I was doing so good at the beginning because I was just clicking on everything and doing the right thing, but then yeah. it just started going downhill. It's like you know what? I'm uh, just having to c consult my uh, buddy, uh, Mr. Uh, GF. Yeah, <laughs> not girlfriend, not guardian force, but game facts. But, <laughs> <laughs> guardian force? Mm -hmm. No, but um, or Grim Fandango. Or Grim you know, Fandango, Grim sure. Fandango yeah, or the, the thing we're supposed to be talking about right now. Exactly. But but, um, but Marcos is right. Like sometimes puzzles would have one stupid detail that it was easy to miss and make the puzzle unsolvable. Like uh, for me, it was um. Uh, one thing I had to do three times was the balloon in year one, the balloon animal, uh, like, uh, ex explosive oh, yeah. mixture puzzle. Because I forgot to turn the lock while the door was open so it wouldn't automatically lock, I, uh, th <laughs> oh. that, that, that messed me up and I had to do the thing a second time. And it's, it's just oh. that, um, because so many of these puzzles have von und precisely von solution, that <laughs> it, 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 it it, 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 it gets, it's really annoying when one detail isn't intuitive or one detail escapes your notice and and just, you know, throws a, a, a spanner into the entire operation. And that happened with me at that uh, with that door I had to unlock and Marcos with not having the scythe in the exact right place or or I'm not positive exactly what happened to you, man. And, and <laughs> I, but that, that's, I mean, that's just a weakness of 90s uh, adventure game puzzles. That hmm. was at times was a, sometimes as charging as charging. I, I can't speak today. Sometimes it's charming and sometimes it's a struggle. Yeah, but it's it's okay. Like uh, at least like even though I was still struggling with the puzzles, the characters themselves, like Glottis on the ship when uh, they're being like the guys banging on the door after like saying it will sprout them, and then they they're banging <laughs> on the door. It's like hey, we're uh, custom officers. We just need to uh, check on something, and and he's just like. Gladys do something, and he's like, "Okay." <laughs> I was like, yeah. "Thank you, Gladys." <laughs> there are those little tidbits oh. that do make things a little bit worth it. In the term, in the case of the puzzle you're referring to, that's one of the times, and I think with when you're driving the car in year one, which I brought up as being really awkward, that's when the controls get really fiddly. So it took me a couple of moments to realize that you had to move the first one around once to get the second one to move around once and then the third one to get moving around and then if you screw up then you've essentially got to remove all of the other ones and because of the angle of the camera you don't actually know if it's completely straight as well so right. the purpose of the puzzle is to line up the 
there are like these four hexagons that have got one straight flat edge that you have to line up with the entrance of the door or the um so you can put your scythe in open the door and unlock it and then you have to drill into it first as well so it's just an all-round kind of a hassle but i'd say yeah i mean the puzzle that i remember struggling with in this one and something in general is not just how vague some of the answers are but the fact that you're just kind of thrown in so Mm -hmm. you're not told what you need to do so yeah, the, the, the hammer. The, I would... the goal. The goal isn't always clear, and the mechanic mm. isn't always clear. And I, I apologize. There's a, a very intense thunderstorm happening at, at, <laughs> uh, just outside my my nice safe house right now. But uh, yeah, so um, the like the goal isn't always clear. The mechanic isn't always clear, and sometimes there is there's small steps that are easy to skip, which, which you know, Marcos and I both went into a little bit. So they, it can be, the puzzles can be really frustrating, but I mean, seeing them play out is satisfying and they are almost always fairly creative. So just like seeing the Rube Goldberg machine happen is at least cool. It, it, it would be satisfying if I solved them myself, but I, I used a guide for almost all of the second half of the game. So I, I didn't get that. I didn't get that Zelda puzzle solutions music like uh, satisfaction, <laughs> at least yeah. this time. <laughs> I think, not to a detriment to it, but I think playing it with a walkthrough, and there are some other games that you have to play with a walkthrough to really appreciate what's really good about it. So the puzzles themselves are clever, but the solution and the reward for it is sometimes more important. Like, it's the journey, and, basically, and, uh... Yeah, and I, I'm also blaming myself a little bit. I, I was in a bit of a time crunch to finish this game in time for the podcast. So if I if I had a little more time and a little more pride, then I probably would have <laughs> wouldn't have used a wa- wouldn't have used a walkthrough and, yeah. and found the puzzle solutions more satisfying when I finally hacked through them. But then again, but then I I, don't, I definitely wouldn't have finished this game in time if I had if I had done that. So I have no shame of going consulting game facts. <laughs> no, I completely agree. I think. I, I was getting frustrated anyway because of how much thought, not how much thought I had to put into it, but how much additional steps I had to think. I had to think like I was Manny. And Manny was so far away from me that I just struggled to think of being in his position and thinking of Tim. Basically, being in Tim Schafer's mind probably is the correct answer. I couldn't think like that. So, that another particular puzzle that I was going to refer to which is completely unclear, is where you have to get Meche's stockings off of her. So, yeah. Like, and, so the... Go on, and, like, and you have to click them three times or something? And, yeah, and, so... and you And you need the the, uh, the stockings, and you have to give them to... Uh, um, oh, shoot. Do you have to give them to, to, um, to him, or do you have to just use them next to him? I forget which... I don't know. You have to give them to him because you oh, have, you to, have give to give him two him things. Him, yeah. You have to give him the hammer to get the drill, and then you right. have to give him the stockings to get a gun. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... But that goes back to the goal being unclear and the mechanics being unclear. In what universe yeah. do you think there's a gun over there, I should b- bug Meche three times to get her stockings and give the stockings to Chapito to get the gun? Like, I, that, <laughs> th- th- that chain of logic does not feel logical to me. <laughs> I didn't know if it was three times. I thought it was you had to time it so that you turned her ashtray away from her oh. so she flicked ash onto herself to burn oh, a hole in her tights. Th- oh, that was but it. But what okay. makes that I, I even thought, more... 
I, I'm sorry. I think the walkthrough I said used uh, said interact three times or something. So I mean, oh. I, I don't I don't totally know the mechanic of it. Oh, it might be. It may possibly be that. But I, the one I used said try and time it so that you get it so that she flicks ash onto her tights and burns a hole in there. Um, also, not really a logical awesome. thought that you that would go through your head yeah. if you're. If, if if you're trying to get her stockings, which sounds gross when I say it like that, but it, it's <laughs> man, what an odd direction to take that puzzle. Yeah, and exactly, like it's not even like you're just turning the ashtray. Manny has to have a smoke before it as well, so it's like you have to time it about five seconds before you know she's gonna flick it. So yeah, it's just a really bizarre step to another solution that has a bizarre solution. The, the like, timing puzzles get weird in his, too, because, like, the, the bone mm -hmm. tattoo puzzle in year two and the burning beaver puzzle in year one both, oh. had, both had that, you know, shuffle through your inventory and get this timing just right kind of yeah. a, kind of edge to it. And I, uh, and I, I managed to do it successfully for the beaver thing pretty easily, but the, the tattoo thing was one of the longest, uh, you know one of the longest mechanical things I had to do in year two. So it's... Yeah. So also, another thing that I confused me on the way through was when you get the gun, you obviously have to go back to Meche and point it at her, and then she takes it off you and points it back at you, and I don't know whether I missed something there, but I don't know whether she was just treating you to escape, basically. Is that what everybody else kind of interpreted it as, oh. or... Oh, for that, like, I think, I thought he was uh, handing her the gun, like, like don't you trust me, Meche? And he oh, hands her the yeah. gun, and then she pulls the the bullet out of her hair, and then yeah. puts it in there, and then points at him because she didn't trust him. Because uh, Domino was talking to him like, "You're gonna be taken after me. You're gonna be running that's this place." Right. That's, that's right. That's why she really didn't trust him then. Right. Yeah, that's right. So it's until he rescues her that she's like, "Oh yeah, I do trust and, him." And um, we'll, and and will also like she still blames him for. She thinks that Manny denied her trip on the uh, on the train. Yeah. Like and so so at, like for a while she seriously thought Domino was rescuing her from Manny, which is, I, which I, I didn't yeah. I, I didn't realize that uh, immediately when I was playing through the uh, first two years because I was no, little, I, I was I was a little surprised when when um she pushed him off the boat when he was trying to reach her, uh in the yeah. cut, in the cutscene right at the beginning of year two. Oh, see, for that, I thought, like, when you talked to Mechia, like, he, Manny asked, like, why did you, uh, like, give me a bruise on my head? And then she says, because it was a trap, like, like laid by Domino, that I, he would have, like, ended up the, at the I, edge or whatever. I, I, I don't, I think she was lying to him then. I think, to him then. Really? I, th I think she still did not trust Manny until, uh, until uh, the mm, end of year three. Interesting. That is interesting. I, I, yeah, I can go both ways with that. I can believe you, Thor. Yeah. But I mean, Manny and Meche's relationship is almost bizarre, I think. It's always, I suppose it's typical film noir, like she's the femme fatale, she's the ideal kind of object of desire kind of thing for um, Manny and... Go on. Maybe. Um, it, it, depends yeah. on your, it depends on your interpretation of femme fatale. Um, like femme mm -hmm. fatale literally means deadly woman or dangerous woman. And she definitely is. And in in a way, I, I think Meche is almost like an innocent woman that's sort of caught up in this. And Olivia, yeah. Olivia is the real femme fatale. Oh yeah, I suppose so. Olivia or the uh, secretary whose name completely oh, um, escapes Ava? me. Ava, yeah. yeah. So either of those two are definitely the femme fatale, and she is the damsel in distress, I Cause, suppose. Because but... I mean, all three of those women sort of comfortably fit into some kind of you know the kind of women characters that are in noir stories. 
but yeah. and and I and I'm probably being Love's too I'm probably being I'm too attached to semantics saying deciding who's a femme fatale and who isn't that's that's no, that's, that's, no. Not, that's not a useful argument but the but <laughs> it, it, it's it is true that like that um I I I think that Meche maybe sort of agrees to go along with Manny unusually quickly and is and I still didn't totally trust her until like the very end of the game. No, I didn't. I didn't either. I didn't really trust anyone until the very end of the game, except except for maybe <laughs> Sal. And the only one I, except for maybe Sal. Gladys. Like 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 Sal. Oh. I, sh I didn't trust Sal, but I should have. And oh, I and I, and I yeah. did. I did trust Gladys, and I also should have. Yeah, <laughs> because exactly. Gladys is the best. Gladys yes, is the best. <laughs> no, you make a good point there, and that's definitely I me mean, using my terminology a bit loosely. But yeah, I don't really get the relationship between the two of them necessarily because she spends so little time on screen she's based she's just she's like a really old rpg heroine i suppose like <laughs> princess sarah from final fantasy or something like that she's she's just or, kind or, of a goal in this yeah or, or, the, or the princess in dragon quest one she's just she's really yeah. she really is a plot point or a goal and I, the reason I sort of accepted her in year four was because between year three and four, they're they're traveling with all of the um, with all the other escapees from the edge of the world for a year. Yeah. So it's like okay, they but maybe they bonded and, and got their goals aligned in that yeah. in, in that intervening year. But the uh, but I yeah I I had I think that the turn in year three maybe happened a little too fast, especially since she had, like you said she has barely any screen time. Yeah, exactly, and she spends. Most of year four in the background anyway. Um, she pops up in a couple of scenes, but yeah. Um, so I suppose if we're going towards the end of year three, we've got the section after opening the door where you have to figure out the, um, what's it called? The sprinkler. So you have to cut the sprinkler opener open and then you have to break a hole in the floor. That one <laughs> wasn't too bad either. Um, it was just kind of figuring out like why and am i many calavera many calavera has a little bit of macgyver in him because sometimes <laughs> sometimes <laughs> sometimes the way he gets out of situations man <laughs> oh yeah he's very good at that definitely and also i suppose in a twist there's a not a boss fight necessarily but there is kind of a climax to this so domino who has been your rival for the entire game meets some beautiful satisfying end from one of her glottis's wonderful contraptions on that boat <laughs> I love that. I love that man or that demon, apparently. But yeah, I thought that was an interesting end to the uh, chapter because we've not really had like a showdown before, so it felt like it was coming to the end. Um, and he's, what do you think? he's such a sleazeball in season in a season. Sorry, in year one, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and he's sort of like keeping Mitchie just out of reach in year two. It, it was satisfying yeah. seeing him. He's a he's a. Uh, you know, a villain that's exactly unlikable enough that you're happy to see him go and, you know, yeah. get crushed to death gruesomely. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah, I definitely like that. Um, so then, jumping straight into year four then, as we've already alluded to, a year passes where the whole of the group from the edge of the world spend the next year hiking and they get to the ninth... I've actually forgotten what they're called. It's not ninth underworld, it's the ninth something or... Um, but, is, it, is it the ninth anyway. circle or the ninth station or something? Because I I, I I think it like conflates the idea of a train station with like a uh, a um, a Mesoamerican or maybe Mayan or Aztec temple, which is a, a cool oh, visual choice. It is called the ninth underworld. The ninth yeah. underworld. Okay, cool. Which uh, in the ninth underworld, which is the so it goes from the day of the dead, and the ninth underworld is the gate to the Mayan mechanics. So. Um, 
I like year four. I think year four is a really good year. But again, it's um, there's a lot more scope and a lot more places that you visit. Probably I like it because you end up going back to Rubicava for quite a big section of it. And um, the start of it begins quite sadly because um, poor Glottis is not very well. And there is this kind of like, you've got to bring him back to life. And it's not the first time where he's... <laughs> I mean, the first time his heart was entirely pulled out of him. But this time... <laughs> He's genuinely quite sick, and there's some little baby glottises who are adorable <laughs> and make these quirky little noises. Um, I really love how you bring glottis essentially back to life and the solution for that. <laughs> but Jesus, I'm gonna just gonna put oil on my, you know, my rag and burn it. Like, why would I do that? Like, what? What would bring me to that solution? But yeah, I mean, this I think is where I want us to talk about glottis because. We've alluded, Glottis is a he's a demon or a demon of the land or something. He's been created specifically as to repair cars. He's the mechanic at the um, travel agents that Manny works at. So I think he, he was the... he, he was a mechanic that dreamed of being a driver. Exactly. Because, yeah. because the way demons work in the Grim Fandango world is that every demon is uh, is created to perform a simple task. And the only way they get satisfaction out of life, or the only way they can survive, they can exist, is to do that task. And for Gladys, that is, you know, fixing vehicles and driving fast. So that, that's mm-hmm. that's why he's always tinkering with stuff and uh, gets extreme satisfaction from like from mm-hmm. like uh, from making noises while driving things quickly. Ah! <laughs> oh! Yeah, he's pretty great. Um, <laughs> so he's adorable. And he's just like a little child, which is what I love. So everybody's so... Um, there's a mature vibe about Grim Fandango and also a silly vibe, but he brings some really light-hearted relief to it. So he's like silly humour amongst all of this kind of black comedy and sprouting people. Um, he's just a joy to be around. And every time he's making his noises when he's in his car, I just have to kind of stop and listen to him because he's so cute. I kind of want a little glottis in case anybody hasn't noticed. But to bring <laughs> him back to life at the end of chapter four, at the beginning of chapter four, sorry, um, you the little demons say, oh, the only way you can bring him back to life is if he drives. And so what you have to do is you get given a mug from one of your first, um, the first person you um, sell a package to in the game. And you have to hang that mug up. And then you have to pick out a cloth from a rag, clean it on some oil, put the toaster on, do something dangerous and put it in a toaster. And then it blows up and the mug starts flying around and provides fuel for a very fast car, which we strap Glottis to and use it to travel back to Rubicava, which brings him back to life. So he's a good he's a good boy. I just like that the revival of Gladys, uh, the only way to do it is that he has to go really fast. He has to do Mad Max, essentially. Yep. Mad Max <laughs> or, or Speed Racer or... I don't, yeah. I don't know. It, he, he's, like, the concept behind him is really is really sort of fun and endearing. And his personality is just so goofy. And uh, But he has his intentions are always very pure and direct. He, he's... A super likable character design. I like him a lot. And um, did any of you guys unlock the rusty anchor scene in year two? No, I didn't. I did because the guide I was using was giving me trophy notifications. Like, oh, do this and this if you want this trophy. 
And I saw that if you do things in a certain order in year two, um, then you can unlock a special scene with Gladys. So I'm like, oh, okay, sure, I'll, I'll just follow the guide and do that. Because uh, there's one point in year two where if you give um, Gladys a VIP pass, and that you know he has a ga and Gladys has a gambling problem, so he, if you give him the VIP pass, he'll take it and race to the VIP room at the cat track and start betting on the cats. But um, if you if you delay that as long as possible and basically do every other task you can before you need Gladys oh. at the cat track, then uh, you can give him um, one of the one of the tickets that's inside Lola's jacket uh, after she dies, and that'll that'll remind him of a song, and he'll play this sort of like jaunty pirate ditty on the piano called Rusty Anchor. Aww. Aww. And it is super cool. It's like man, he's he like like here's this this crazy this crazy character who like is larger than the piano itself just banging out a jaunty tune on the piano and it was like i what a strange easter egg to have in the game but also <laughs> but also it just made me like Manny and Gladys and Rubikava more so it was a uh, it was it was mm. a cool bit like it it's it, it was pretty convoluted getting there cuz it's i think it's pretty easy to get to cuz you get that ticket pretty early and it's pretty easy to just sort of show it to Gladys as a matter of course you have to sort of know the exact order to get that scene. But it's at least worth checking out on YouTube. It was really cool. Just look up Gladys Rusty Anchor or something. Oh. Yeah, I will. To, yeah, I'll have to check it out, definitely. Um, Glawless gets a lot of time to shine in Chapter 4. Um, there's another puzzle that comes straight after this. But I'll go over very briefly the premise of uh, Year 4, and we can go into specifics as well. So this one starts off, as I said, they've hiked to the Ninth Gate, and... They found out that these uh, the people that they've brought are not entitled to go through the gate because they don't have the tickets, and Manny's accused of selling them. So they have to prove that they've not, they're not the people who are selling them, that it's somebody else. So we have obviously got to go back to Ruby Carver and El Maro. Um, so once we've back to Ruby Carver, which is a really nice surprise, and I was actually really shocked that we'd go back to revisit some areas, and it was a really nice um, kind of, not a nostalgia trip, but just really nice to see how things have changed in two years' time, because you forget with how short this game that it's actually over a four-year period and that things do change over time. But um, it was nice to talk to some of the characters again. So you meet Velasco, who was the captain who let you on board the ship, and he was a delight. It was nice to speak to him again. And he goes off, doesn't he? So you tell him that you had his a new boat and he was like oh that's my boat and they're like oh no i pawned it off and he was like no i'm gonna leave now i must go after my boat and so you have to steal his bottle and come up with some funky concoction with gelatin in it feed it to glottis and oh glottis is very he likes drink he'll drink anything i think what a sweetheart his uh like and all the puzzles that surround him make it a little more fun so it was cool seeing him have a larger role in in uh in year four than he did in year two or three and yeah. and i'm also uh i also agree with you that it was cool visiting rubikava again and uh and also returning to el Mero and seeing how much it's changed because uh, uh hector has you know his influence has grown and grown and hector's obviously the, the culprit behind the uh the stolen and, and selling uh of the tickets and and also the the ticket the ticket guy at um the ninth underworld mentions that if you try to get on the train with a fake ticket, then the train goes straight to hell. Yes. Which is uh, which is one of the um one of the sort of threats hanging over the last chapter of the game. 
Right. And uh, and also uh, maybe he mentions this later, but he uh, uh, shoot uh, Manny remembers that when you do sell uh, one of the tickets, the ticket will fly to its appropriate person. And, and so right. and see he identifies some of the tickets they find as counterfeits because none of them are flying to um to to the uh to to the to the people accompanying him. That's right. It happens quite midway yeah. through the chapter maybe. Yeah, I don't maybe, maybe it happens later than late, later than what you were describing, but I was remembering that was a that was one of the reveals that was sort of one of the later pieces of the puzzle coming together. And yeah, and that's also one of the bits where you have an idea of what to do for later puzzles so the very last puzzle at the end of the game is finding somebody's dead or remains of their body and you use it by using their number nine ticket don't you and it gravitates towards them and you have to dig them out um but the puzzle i'm referring to is kind of a gross one because you're basically making glottis very sick and he throws up everywhere <laughs> and then you have to think why you this, this is another one of those illogical puzzles. I mean, I love it because it involves Glottis and it's a very silly puzzle, but you basically have to freeze his vomit and walk across it to disarm a bomb. So, I mean, points for creativity. But but, but how is a player supposed to arrive at that conclusion exactly. from what's presented to them? Yeah. I mean... Oh, of course, like... frozen vomit to make a bridge to stop the bomb. Hey, Glottis, I have some weird pudding for you. Yeah, exactly. And his vomit's blue, but that's probably just because of the gelatin <laughs> and the drink. But yeah, you have to go and get liquid nitrogen from Toto, who's the tattooist. The liquid, the liquid nitrogen comes in handy later in one of the most dramatic parts of the game. Yeah, I like the climax of the game a lot. Um, and, and, and I should mention, like, um, Chapter 4 is maybe my second favorite chapter after after Rubicava and Chapter 2. Not because of its puzzles or because of, like, the setting, like how, which is why I like 1 and 2 so much. But because there's so much drama. And it gets it gets intense in Chapter 4 with all the stuff happening. Yeah, because 2 we, and 4... Oh, sorry, 2 and 4 have some nice story beats to them. Mm -hmm. 3 does as well, but 2 has some nice establishing, and then 4 builds up the drama and there's also some really nice bits of drama in two so like when lola gets um sprouted yeah. some really nice we, and yeah. we mentioned this in the previous episode but sprouting is scary and intense like mm. it, it's um it's sort of funny how they had you know they they you know a way to destroy a, a person in grim fandango is to have flowers and the vegetation grow all over them but the way that they present it and when you see people dying of sprouting it's like oh man this is kind of weird and scary so the yeah. uh, so when you're seeing people getting sprouted and facing the threat of sprouting, it's um it, it's intense and adds some gravitas to a lot of the big plot points in in chapter four. Yeah, when you some, go back to oh, some sorry, sprouting hap go... some sprouting definitely happens in chapter four. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, when you go back to El Maro, um, and one of the uh, Lost Soul Society members comes in and he's clearly been wounded and he falls to the ground and he starts sprouting and. Everyone's panicking, and then Salvador comes along and he chops off half of his body, and that <laughs> fixes the problem. And, it's and, and really and, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And, and the skeleton is very grateful and very, uh, very has a very positive attitude about his uh, about his new half body. Mm, he does. <laughs> it's a really clever way of. He's like, he's like hopping up because he has, I think, only one arm and most of his torso. So he's sort of like standing on one arm and it's like saluting and hopping in place. It's like, oh man, you, you all right? You're, you seem to you are handling this much better than I would have. 
Yeah. yeah, he was in good spirits, especially when you saw him in the uh, casino area, like on a <laughs> unicycle. I was like, oh my god, is that I him? love that. I love that bit where he just climbed into the slot machine and took all the money. It's great. There are some really genuinely fantastic moments in this game, so if we come across as a bit negative i think it's more out of frustration that there are things that prevent it from being as good as we yeah, want it to be like like the settings are so cool i just wanted to mm. live in rubicava playing chapter two because it was this yeah. like everything from like the uh, like the casinos and sort of the dive parts of it, it it's it, it like noir mexican day of the dead snappy dialogue totally biz- absurd elements like the cat racing and the bone tattooing and the uh <laughs> and and the um uh, the the worker bees discovering uh, discovering communism, it, it's just, like so much of it is bizarre and beautiful and cool that the puzzles get in the way of the fun, and uh, and even like the puzzles when when they happen they're cool and creative but actually getting there can be an exercise in frustration which we've mentioned a lot this episode, um, <laughs> but uh, it's yeah it's. There's so much cool about this game that feels hamstrung by, uh, by, uh, by other parts of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so since we're there, uh, the Lost Souls Association is trying to figure out where all these um, tickets are, why all these tickets are going to certain people, and why certain people can't leave the um, travel agents. Um, so what do we think of them? Because obviously there's a bit of a twist towards the end of the game, or pretty much at the end of the game. Uh, I definitely brought up a relationship with Ava. I enjoyed just bugging her at the beginning of chapter one. Um, she was like your typical high school receptionist. Well, she was like the receptionist out of Ghostbusters in a way, I suppose. <laughs> That's what she reminds me of. Um, but yeah, Ava is not ever all she seems. Yeah. Um, it, it was a surprise in chapter one when uh, she ended up where she was seemed to be this like sassy secretary and ends up uh, being working for a resistance organization, and then her turns in chapter four are pretty interesting too. Like there's there's a um, I I think I thought I thought Olivia was a bigger twist than Ava, but I'm not I'm not actually I'm not sure about that because I sort of was suspicious of Olivia from the beginning. I thought she was going to betray you <laughs> in chapter two in year two. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's a lot of cool, memorable characters in this game, and it was it was really cool revisiting a lot of the ones I thought were behind us in Chapter Four, but or, yeah. or by Year Four, I should stop saying Chapter. That's right. But yeah, I was completely surprised that she was the traitor, and when she turns up with her car, I was thinking, "Who is this?" I thought I think I thought initially it was Olivia, and got in the car, and it was her, and I thought, "Oh, okay." And then she picked up Salvador's head and I was then thinking, what's going on? I thought I've got rid of... I thought that... Um... No, that, that was Olivia. Oh, in the car? Yeah, in, in the car that was Olivia. Olivia offers to drive Salvador somewhere and he betrays her and separates his head from his body. Yeah, that that can be confusing. Um, <laughs> but no, no, no. Because, yeah, I, I'm not misremembering this. Because Olivia was... Um, uh, she was the girlfriend and owned the uh, and owned the cool cafe in Rubicava, and then she joins you and joins the resistance. But really, she's been working for Hector the whole time. That's yeah, so yeah, true. it was Olivia. Got yeah. A, yeah, that was Olivia. Yeah, yeah, that was. Owner, I've uh, got it very confused. Casket. No, it's all right. <laughs> it's oh man, <laughs> it's because of the glasses they wore. <laughs> it was because of the glasses. You know, it is yeah, true. They, they, they both they both have glasses that do look a little similar. Yeah, but the hair the hair is different. Yeah. 
Yeah, because I oh, Ava stays in the um, resistance base, yeah. doesn't she? Mm-hmm. She doesn't come along the whole time. So now it is Olivia that betrays you. Sorry, everyone. Um, no, that's cool. It's... <laughs> the thing, I guess this maybe flags an issue that I have, is that there are not a lot of links in the story. There are quite big jumps throughout that you have to piece together. And I struggled to follow along at times. And actually, it was a lot more simple than I first thought, the whole plot thread. But I got confused quite easily as I've just demonstrated and really like other than a couple of the characters see I think the cast is really good as well but there are a lot of characters that you see once and you don't see for three chapters and then they reappear again and they're suddenly the most important thing since well since Manny's first appearance in the game really but um I think Olivia's betrayal did surprise me because like you said I mean, you suspected, Mike, you suspected she would probably betray. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I thought that be- because she was dating this crime boss and also helping Manny made me think, oh, I bet she's going to betray Manny to the cut crime boss because she's still always been loyal to him. And maybe she killed Lola because Lola was also, you know, edging in on her man or something. But it was it really, it was the lawyer that was uh, um, manipulating all of that. And the crime boss was, if anything, sort of a neutral character in that in chapter two, which would surprise me a little bit. But, yeah. But but th- but then she comes back in chapter four. I still don't trust her. She's been working for Hector all along, and um, she meets death spectacularly with an exploding, like sprout <laughs> tooth that was hidden behind uh, Salvador in in Salvador's jaw, for a for a, a slightly gruesome and very satisfying end for her. <laughs> yeah. That was very good. It was it was Definitely. cool, but man, like the, the sprouting is such a weird idea, and they make it so gross and scary. It's it, what a cool visual choice. I know I'm saying visual choice like eight times this episode, but I think the <laughs> Grim Fandango has a lot of really cool visual choices that look surprisingly good and bold, even though I don't, even though it's almost twenty years old. Yeah, I regret saying that I didn't like it visually in the first episode because I was completely <laughs> dismissing the pre-rendered backgrounds and like you've said some of the decisions and some of the settings are really well thought out I wonder it's just maybe it's more down to its controls it's a little bit jaggedy and everything but I do really like the world and the more I explored it and especially when I came back to Rubicava and came back to El Maro and saw how they changed I really began to appreciate it stylistically as well. So not just kind of the tone, but also the way that it looked. But sprouting is the one thing that always sticks in my mind, that when you get shot, you sprout up into flowers. And when you get to the greenhouse, obviously it all comes to a head because that there's a big field of flowers. And then Manny suddenly goes, oh, is this where everyone Hector's killed has died? And it changes everything completely. Like a field of flowers is beautiful, but at the same time, it's basically where everyone's corpses are quite nasty but Hector makes the you, so you say he was quite neutral wasn't he in chapter 2 and as a villain he's a pretty standard villain um, but I remember him being name dropped and I kind of just ignored it at one point I was very wrong to ignore it and I had trouble remembering who he was again but I think the showdown with him was pretty cool so I thought initially he died when he was trying to climb across the buildings but he didn't. Um... Well, I will say that, um, like, the, the whole, like, beauty of the sprouting thing, even though it's uh, met with a, a gruesome end of a, one, a, a skeleton, uh, it, 
it's very interesting, especially how um, Le Mans meets its end. That it's not like just sprouting; it's like this explosion of flowers. <laughs> yeah, uh, lots, lots of gunk on the windows, wasn't there? It was quite gruesome. Yeah, you don't it just, see it, but you just see it on the window. Yeah, yeah, it's like wow, <laughs> just explode. That's yeah, it was pretty intense. I like that. Um, I did skip over some of the stuff in the casino and i've actually skipped over most of the puzzles because uh-huh. weirdly enough other than the beginning of the chapter i think most of the puzzles in chapter four were probably the easiest like i didn't struggle too much to come up with solutions i mean i did use a walkthrough but they, 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 seemed, felt like more straight, how... they seemed more straightforward than the puzzles yeah. in most of the rest of the game absolutely they felt like ones that i could come up with solutions for myself like pouring hot coffee over somebody the only thing i probably would have struggled with doing is the grinder and then with the um, soldier's arm that would probably have been the only thing I'd have struggled with but I liked the encounter with the alligator which was completely out of the blue it was like the fire (laughs) beavers it's like oh it's a giant alligator I don't remember any foreshadowing about that alligator no what was the growling in the sewer beforehand was Uh, it the alligator or oh I I guess but I mean did did anyone even mention this the alligator before like five minutes before he he appears it's no Exactly. Whether it was the florist's defense mechanism, I use that loosely, I have no idea. But yeah, he just appears out of nowhere. But I mean, I like crocodiles and alligators, so I'm willing to have them. More video game representation. But that was a pretty easy... Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I just like the way that you handled uh, that in that puzzle. That you just drop (laughs) the the car on its tail. (laughs) (laughs) No, I like that. Oh, yeah, because that's where Glodis is playing around with the suspension, isn't he? And he's making all of his funny noises again. But, and, and, yeah. And this, this is jumping to the end a little bit. But I, I thought that the uh, um, the liquid nitrogen freezing, the sprouting going on in Manny in um, in the center of Manny's chest for, so he could yeah. pause to grab a gun was a really cool dramatic fight moment that uh, was very satisfying to execute. <laughs> it was. I really like that. Mm-hmm. it's good to reuse the items a lot of the items in Grim Fandang you don't the only one you really reuse is the scythe and yeah I suppose the scythe is the one main one and then you don't really reuse any of them apart from the liquid nitrogen so and, it was and, a nice and, touch and well the liquid nitrogen was from the same the same chapter right the same year yeah because yeah, yeah. like, it's it sort of if anything it was it felt like sort of like a cool touch that at the beginning of every year all he has is his scythe yeah, and then that's, the, that's the one thing you deal with. Yeah, it was really nice. Um, no, I really did like that. Um, but since we're at the end, um, I don't think anyone was anyone surprised by what happened at the end of the game, other than, I mean, obviously, everybody, the villains have died. So even Salvador, who is a pretty cool guy. So Salvador has met his end, but he's yeah, taken... Yeah the, yeah, the villains Olivia. are all dead. Um, one, yep. uh, one character has his heroic sacrifice, and that's... Uh, in that in that cell, um, <laughs> I, I was a little surprised at the sort of going into the sun, happy ending, going into the sunset kind of yeah. uh, situation. It, it it felt a little too clean, maybe, but um, but, mm. but it, was, it was still satisfying that like uh, that all that the people that deserve to go on to the afterlife happily did so, especially since uh, since like Meche and Manny had a pretty raw deal um, getting there. But uh, the one thing that bothered me about um, the ending and and maybe the, sort of the plot stuff around year four, and I think I mentioned this in the first episode, is that we really didn't get 
an idea of why Manny was there and and or any of his uh, any of his backstory. Yeah. So you mm. found, yeah, I'll, you found out some of the victims. Sorry, you did find out about uh, some of the people you guided, but Manny and most of the other characters. So you didn't re- you don't find out what Domino's there, do you? That's not something I've missed. No, um, all you really get all you really yeah. get is that uh, Manny was a, su- a successful travel agent briefly. And then when the uh, when the ticket counterfeiting ring sort of starts up, then Domino becomes more successful than Manny and takes Manny's old office. Yeah. yeah but uh, but other other than Manny like being unsuccess being successful then unsuccessful then getting embroiled in all this, you don't really know anything about what his past is, why he's stuck in limbo, why he didn't have why he can't get a ticket for himself or uh, or, or or couldn't even start or why he was stuck there. Just uh, nothing except um. Him, except the stuff that happens to him directly over the course of the game, and him getting, because he did so much good, him being granted a ticket at the very at the very climax. So that, that, I, th- I think that was a little unsatisfying. I would have liked, even if it was hidden, a hidden detail, or maybe it was a hidden detail and I just missed it, but we'd, I think <laughs> I would have liked to learn more about Manny. No, I didn't get a hidden detail either. I didn't pick anything up. It did feel like he was, he was a good character. I really like Manny as the main character, but... He's got not a lot. He's not got a lot of backstory, and I needed that probably to get more invested with him. Um, Glottis, you kind of get a little bit of backstory too, I suppose, in because he goes on about how he's created a tiny yeah, bit. The real beautiful tragedy of the ending isn't Manny and Meche being together or Salvatore dying. It's uh, it's it's Glottis crying as as his yeah. friends are all leaving on the train. It's like, <laughs> oh, Glottis, I feel you, man. It's okay. He's got his little minions with him. He'll be fine. And he'll be able to drive and and pilot very very fast as much as he wants. Yeah, he'll be very happy. Maybe he'll drive one of the number nine trains eventually. Ooh, that'll be cool. Ooh, that that would yeah. be that would be a good epilogue for him. Yeah, yeah. he would enjoy that. He might come this across somebody like else. Sounds like a fanfic in the making. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a sequel. Um, but yeah, I agree. So I didn't really. I think I made it obvious earlier, I didn't really get the relationship between the two because we'd skipped off over so many days, whether year one, year two, year three, year four, you didn't get the inside and the middle bits. So you didn't really see Manny and Meche develop any kind of relationship. So them going off into the sunset, I probably suspected, but I didn't feel overly satisfied with because I don't have any answers as to why or what they want to do or why they want to be together or anything like that so like why is manny in the eighth underworld why is he working for the dod why why meche why is it just meche why nobody else and over four years of trying to chase after her why in particular is meche the way who you want to be with so yeah i I can i can answer that though oh okay um um, have you ever like watched any other film noirs by chance I've yeah, seen, I've I have. seen some. Yeah, um, the one when I when I saw the whole thing was like Meche, like um, I, I was reminded of the film noir um, Laura, where the detective became obsessed oh. with Laura, even though that she was reported like dead. Mm-hmm. But like just looking at her portrait, he's become more more obsessed with her until eventually she, he actually meets her. And I feel like that's what Manny's doing. Like he has this obsession yeah. over Mecha, and he's like, "I, I, I got to meet her again. I got, I got to meet her. Again. Right, this wrong. Like, like this isn't right. Like, yeah. I, I feel like that's what it is with that. Like a little bit of a, 
uh, an obsession. I'm I'm with but... you like with eighty percent of that at least, because it's um <laughs> because it's it's definitely not a romantic attraction. It wasn't love at first sight, and he's cha- and he's chasing after her because he wants to be with her. It was more like well, a... yeah, that it was an obsession. That's that's kind of like how it was, even though it did turn uh, romantic. Well, it was I, more of just an obsession. I think it was it was almost a uh, it was almost like a competitive streak, or or Manny snapping isn't the, isn't the right word, but or him deciding that was that enough was enough, like. Um, he was so determined to um, to get one over Domino and to get out of this rut that he was in that he that he steals a ticket almost randomly and ends up being her and he's so determined to have this be um, the thing that turns his luck around and 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 it's a combination of a com- of a competitive streak and and maybe stubbornness that he decides that Meche is the one that he has to that's going to get him out of there and then when he realizes that he may have doomed her with what he did uh he with that same d- stubbornness is determined to make things right by saving her because he bl- he blames himself for her not getting on the train and also is just so furious at his coworkers that he that he wants to get <laughs> get get this one uh, this one deal that could uh, turn his career around. So I, I don't know if it's a if it's an obsession or a fixation on Meche until maybe the end of year one when he's trying to find her for a full year in uh, in uh, in Rubicava. But yeah, But it's not straight up romantic, which I think we both agree on. Uh, but it, yeah. it sort of becomes romantic at the end. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there. Yeah. Yeah, but and, I like the, but I'm, I'm not familiar with I'm not familiar with that uh with that noir movie Laura. That's um, if I if I saw it, maybe I would see the connection better. But I think I, it was a uh, Peminger who uh, directed that. It oh, was like okay. a 1942, 1943, or I think around yeah. that. Yeah, isn't she the character Laura used as a reference point in the David Lynch film Mulholland Drive? I seem to remember that. Oh God! If you, if, you can, with... if you can explain Mulholland Drive to me, then you deserve <laughs> you deserve an award or something because that I t- that that movie I is, I that, that movie is incomprehensible to me. <laughs> oh, I love it, but I couldn't explain it to you. I think there's definitely a character. There's definitely a character or some reference to that film. Um, I do. Can we think of any other noir games, perhaps? Um, Ooh. similar. T- yeah, because I really like noir. The film noir has been a really I love one of my favorite genres. I've not watched many films, but I just like the style of them. There's some really nice, jazzy, kind of slow, thrillery type feel to them. But also, like you said, Marcos, there are moments where there are like obsessions with these women and things like that. There's multiple different things that they throw around between the films. And I haven't seen enough of them, but from what I have seen, they are really cool. And they make me think of hard-boiled detective novels and things like that. Fine. Well, the only like thing I know about like a game that's like a fil- film noir is a uh, Discworld noir, and oh. but that, that's a that's a more of a comedy than it is a. Oh no! That's well, I mean, I, well, yeah, Discworld well, is. I mean, Discworld had several adventure games in the I want to say '80s or early '90s, and they're based off the the Terry Pratchett's fantasy sci-fi absurdist books. <laughs> and so, that's like, um, and the, the, my my favorite Discworld book I haven't played any of the games is uh, Moving Pictures. Which has a little bit of noir in it, but it's more like a, it, it, it's more like uh like a like people just getting caught up in the spirit of the movies and there's a lot of like old Hollywood some old noir jokes in that book. So like I mean the the Discworld books I've read are so creative that I'm sure a noir interpretation in that world is really something special. But I, I haven't played I haven't played Discworld <laughs> yeah. noir. Uh, my suggestion for a noir game 
and it's less because of the setting and more because of, like the character interactions would be Hotel Dusk. Which oh is, yeah, 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 yeah. Which yeah. is a uh, um, a DS visual novel that had a sequel called Last Window that was Europe and Japan only. So you, if you can, uh, if you, you can, you can find a copy of that to play on North American DSs. But it's a, uh, it's a little, it's a little challenging for American fools like me. And uh, I mean, shoot, mm. we're we're practically missing the forest for the trees. There's literally a game called La Noir. Yeah, yeah, I'm that right I was, now. I was thinking <laughs> right. that. It was like yeah. that. The Wolf Among yeah, Us. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, yeah, The Wolf Among Us. That's, um, Wolf Among oh, Us is, yeah. is a uh, shoot, yeah, Telltale adventure game based on the yep. really excellent comic book series Fables. There is noir around. It's a bit underused, though. I think I'd like to see it used some more. I mean, there's something coming out next year, which we have a preview of, called Pixel Noir, which is like a turn-based, top-style town RPG where I think you're a group of people who fight, like, detectives with guns but it's turn-based rpg mechanics so definitely check that out and that's coming out in 2018 i think early next year but i'd like to see some more noir in games that we cover i think it works well, well in- yeah i was gonna say one uh, that i'm pretty sure people are more familiar with is heavy rain oh oh yeah of that's, course yeah i mm, yeah i guess yeah. That, that's I, I would call that more yeah. like more like thriller but um there, there's noir vibes in that especially since one of the characters is a detective trying to solve a case of serial yeah. murders murderers murders mm-hmm. yeah. yeah whatever yeah i think grim fandango takes a very interesting stance on it though i like and actually to link it to disc worlds both games <laughs> fictions have a really great interpretation of death so. I, I know that there's several disc world games but i thought they were mostly older than 99 and i uh and, and, yeah. and i'm definitely more familiar with the books than the games but the but, yeah. but the books are great i mean terry pratchett's a legend he is mm-hmm. an amazing um, human being. But, yeah, they both have an excellent interpretations of death. So they both get goods in my books. But, yeah, I I mean, I suppose before we close out, I want to go over some of the other supporting cast members because we've spoken about how many, like, there are tons of really good characters in the game. But I think I found that I would get attached to characters and a lot of them don't reappear. So the first one I think of... Um, Probably my favorite behind Glottis is Lupe, who's the secretary girl in the second chapter, or the second year, where she looks after the coat hangers and that, and she's just this bobbly ball of insanity, really, and she's obsessed <laughs> with... She comes up with this new coat hanger system, doesn't she? And if you ignore her, yeah. she is basically like, oh, you don't want to pay attention to what I'm doing or something? So she just completely loses it, but she's adorable, and then you don't see anything of her again, and there are a few characters like that that... Um, pop up so there's the tattoo guy who does pop up but the guy he's tattooing doesn't and i don't know whether that's because you've basically faked his death mm-hmm. well uh, <laughs> I, I don't know maybe <laughs> maybe his death got unfaked because it's two years since you go back there after you, yeah. after you fake his death uh i i don't know i um i i liked the vibe of year two so much that just like the like the big skeleton gangsters in suits, taught like fixing cat races and stuff. It was <laughs> yeah. I, I could I would have liked to see more out of that uh, that gang boss and that lawyer and maybe even Olivia and, and Lola and Lupe. Yeah, well, they get mentioned and they get brought up. And, and, and Olivia and the, has and the this... weird uh, French corrupt cop <laughs> <laughs> that, oh, you see, God, that you see yeah. in, that you see in three scenes. It's like man, I, I could I, I couldn't trash talk him in the station or the. Uh, Oh shoot! The um, the 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 desk girl that has a that has a crush on Manny that you have to listen to her terrible story. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> for yeah. five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> there are so many good characters that get 
forgotten about. It's quite sad. I mean, we the ones we do stick with are very good. So there's that, but there are so many other ones that could have had a bit more of a spotlight. I think so now that uh, now that Double Fine Fine has found some success uh, in recent years with uh, you know um, what what is it uh, Lost Age is that the is that their kickstarted game? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I think it yeah, is. Yeah, Broken Age. Broken Age, that's it. Yeah, with, with with Broken Age and their other recent stuff, I think we need a Grim Fandango two about Gladys. Yeah, I'm driving the number nine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe there's like a, a number nine train robbery or something. Mm. Or there there's a stow oh. there's a stowaway on the train and he has to find out who who it is and who has the wrong ticket or else the train will get sent to hell. Oh, that would be good. Like the whole like d- duration. Uh... But wait, but isn't the train like super fast? Like, was it like one day you get there? Yes, you get there in one oh, day. So that'd so... be great. Yeah, oh the god, down climb uh, timer the whole time, so you have like this time oh, limit. Man. The, the oh man, like um, like That's, Dead Rising. Where that you sounds have stressful. Hours. Stressful, oh. but good. Kind of like Majora's Mask. No, oh, nothing I like stressful that. with Glottis around. <laughs> So oh, I see it'll be that. a great time though. It'll just be laughs all the time until you get shot in the hell. God, just mur- just murder on the Orient <laughs> Express or something. Just but on the number nine train. You have one. And you have murder one, on the number nine train. God, yeah. you, you just have the. That's the title. Yeah, the Grim <laughs> but, Fandango Two is murder on the number nine. <laughs> what? Well, Make it. I, I, I man, I'd play murder on the number nine, even if it wasn't Grim Fandango. That's just a cool. That's just a cool assortment of words. But um, <laughs> I, I have a, a similar speculative question for you. Uh, now we've been talking about how much we love the dialogue and characters and and visuals and concepts in Grim Fandango, and I think we're all positive on those parts of the game for the most part. And but find the puzzles obtuse or frustrating or uh, whatever you know complainy word you want to pick for him do you think that you would enjoy this more if it was like an eight episode uh and uh, like animated series with two episodes each comp- each being a year that that was available on netflix or amazon prime or something do you think that would be if, if it stayed to the spirit of the game and captured most of the game in those eight episodes would you like that more than playing grim fandango because i think maybe yes if it if the animation and production was of a good quality. I agree. If they did a Castlevania, then definitely. Yeah, y- yes, give ca- give Grim Fandango the Castlevania treatment and retell it in a short animated series. I would be all over that. Yeah, yeah it def- I'd be down for that. Mm, it works better as the a narrative and a story and as a set of characters than it does an adventure game, I think. Um the controls are clunky. The puzzles are obtuse. The the rewards aren't really worth it. And only if you're a spectator, I feel, do you really get the full enjoyment out of it. And I don't like using walkthroughs for games. I will use them for sections, but the fact that I had to use a walkthrough for most of the puzzles of this game is quite frustrating. Um, I don't even remember having to do it with games like Monkey Island and things like that. Like, at least there's a logical solution because pirates are at least have been real. Skeletons are real, but not in the sense that they're walking around and are taking you to your death in real. So it's a very different logic that you have to get into. And And again, I, I remember playing Full Throttle with a friend many years ago, and we beat most of the game without a walkthrough because it, it just it even though I may I think Josh in the previous episode brought up one puzzle that I do not remember but I but it felt more grounded and more logical 
in what I was mm. doing in that game. But in my defense, I think I was 10 or 11 years old at the time. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it felt more grounded and logical in Full Throttle than what everything I was doing in Grim Fandango. And Full Throttle was only made like two or two years or maybe two and a half years before Grim Fandango. They're, they're by the same company of the same era. And Grim yeah. Fandango just feels so much weirder and less intuitive in its puzzle designs. Yeah. Agreed. Mm-hmm. It is a shame, though, because it's got so much going for it, and I really wanted to come away, like, singing Grim Fandango's praises, and it's, I It does so many things so cool, and it feels mm-hmm. like the puzzles take away from the experience, which, uh, which, again, has me going back to the idea, if this was an animated series... That, mm. that with the, that was as that was you know visually well made and and has all of the cool dialogue and and uh, character stuff in it. I I would like that better than the game. Hmm. Mm. So I suppose to close it out, I think we've heard basically our thoughts on favorite year and stuff like that. But I will go over it just so we can kind of go over our final thoughts and everything. Marcus, what did you enjoy most about the game? What section was your favorite? Um, Anything particular that stands out, or anything that you don't like? Um. Well, I'll I'll talk the time. I'll just talk about what I do like, and I, overall, like what I really enjoyed the most was uh, just Glottis. Glottis was just a bundle <laughs> of joy. This game, he was great, like like comedic stuff. So it was really nice that Manny had his uh, Glottis to go around uh, to lighten the moon, even though like death loomed around the corner. Literally, like we're saying, like a, a door, like a room away, and Glottis is still able to like break some uh, joy to the conversation. Yeah. Glass is definitely going to be one to remember. I He's, think if we ever do a list of like best video game sidekicks, I would I would write a blurb about Gladys. Yeah. So, yeah, same here. <laughs> Absolutely. Did you have a favorite year or um just kind of um favorite year? I you know, it's that one's a tough one. I'm going to have to go with a no doubt, it's year two. Year two is like mm. the the real like, uh, I I don't want to say the real meat. I guess the <laughs> real bones of Grimfin. Ah, uh, oh. oh man, <laughs> good, uh, oh that that pun just took a year off my life, man. Whoa, uh, good, good to have uh, you, Marcos. Good to join, have you. join me in death. Uh, <laughs> 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 no, but uh, but that that really was like what I was looking for in this game, and I got it. And I wouldn't mind if there was like a series on just that year alone. Um, mm. That that would be really cool, like trying to find out, like uh, doing a mystery around Lola, and like the whole season you're trying to figure out who did it, or rather, yeah, who yeah, done yeah it. if yeah, if they made the whole Lola um, event more of a who done it and less a follow the evidence, oh, it's the lawyer kind of thing. Then that that would that would be a really cool game on its own. I agree. Mm-hmm. I, I'm telling you, man, murder on the number nine. We should make this happen. Yeah. We, I, I mean, I I technically met Tim Schafer on an escalator at E3. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just next time, next E3, if we yep. see him, we'll Gotta pitch see him. at him. <laughs> just whisper into his ear when you next see him. Next time. <laughs> I, I'm sure. I'm sure he'll. Um, I'm sure he'll recognize me. So it's a. Uh, oh yeah. It's guaranteed. Mike Slowsy of RPG fan. Yep. You go to shake his hand, you just slip him a card. <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I should have done that when I met Koji Igarashi this year, but uh, oh, nah, it's, it's a missed opportunity. Oh. But no, um, so Mike, um, what kind of stands out to you about the game? I think you've been quite vocal about yes. year two as well. I, I have, yeah, I'm, I'm, year two was, I, I wish the rest of the game was more like year two. I loved the setting, I loved the, uh, 
uh, I love the non-linear questing in it. I um, the puzzles were insane but cool most of the time. My, my favorite thing was just the dialogue. When people were when the characters were interacting, it um, it it it, it was consistent. It was uh, the voice acting performances were all great. Um, it's cool hearing accents besides American and British and European accents <laughs> in a video game, and uh, even things like just um, Ava and Manny's sarcastic reactions to just checking things in a room were really fun <laughs> in the in in year one and uh, and just I I think that maybe the greatest strength of this game is the dialogue and I uh, I enjoyed a lot of it and I wish I I wish I wasn't rushing through the second half so I could. I don't know, uh, poke around a little more on my own time like I did like I did in, in years one and two. But, yeah, strongest part of the game was year two, and the best part of the game is the dialogue and character work. And the most frustrating part are these puzzles, which we've, you know... Well, they are the heart of it, I suppose. That's the point of the adventure game. But, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I will join the year two camp. Definitely my favorite year in terms of setting, characters, mood, absolutely everything. They might have been the most non-linear and frustrating puzzles, but I think the rewards out of those puzzles were probably of the most interest and the greatest, and it's where the story begins to really kick in. Um, To come off of your dialogue thing, because I love the dialogue and the voice acting is excellent, um, I really liked especially that because they were mostly non-American... there were the Spanish was actually and the Mexican and the, any the Hispanic language was actually ad libbed in by a lot of the <laughs> voice actors. Awesome. So especially Manny's voice actor, he was the one who kind of came up with the idea of oh we'll just add in these phrases because that's more natural to us and actually it adds a really nice depth and flavor to the entire style. Like it just I, adds I was more I was not I was not aware that any of the dialogue was ad libbed and that that just makes it f- feel even better and more impressive to me. Yeah, so I. It, some of it was ad-libbed and some of it was suggested like oh we can go off branch and speak in some spanish but it was a really nice touch and it was a, it's a really nice game to play at halloween because it's a nice celebration not halloween <laughs> day of the dead even just to be on what you play it. but it's a nice celebration of that culture and yeah i think there are a lot of really positives to take out of grim fandango and it's just a shame that i sort of come out of it it's like slogged through it and come out feeling maybe i should uh start a new game with tank controls and try to get a platinum trophy on the day of the Mm. dead later this year Mm. would would that would that be fun or would i drive myself insane and 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 retro encounter would officially end on november 3rd it depends (laughs) whether your um, patience is thin or we've got good patience it depends it depends how experienced you are i have have the patience to play persona games 80 hours multiple times but probably not enough patience to play, Would you with, play tank, them? With, with tank controls for 10 hours i don't think i yeah, am <laughs> exactly but no um yeah grim pandango kind of bittersweet great ideas um just maybe some of the puzzles were a little bit obtuse maybe a bit too clever for itself at times sometimes rewarding but a lot of the times frustrated and i just wanted to enjoy the world and the characters mostly but um unless anybody else has got anything i believe that'll be it for episode 97 um Thank you very much, everyone, for coming back and listening. Um, it's been really, really good to play this game, even if we've got some mixed opinions on it. Um, yeah, even, even guys... though I, I didn't love everything about Grim Fandango, sorry to interrupt you, Alana, but um, I'm, I'm glad I checked it off my, off my list, basically, because this is a cult classic that I've been hearing about for decades, or almost decades, I guess technically decade plus. But yeah. um, And even though I didn't love everything about it, I'm glad to have played it, and I'm glad to have experienced the highs of it, at least.
yeah i definitely agree um but we've got some really exciting things in the schedule coming up so i'm gonna skip a couple of weeks first because episode 97 we're approaching our 100th episode which is absolutely amazing this podcast has been going for about a year and a half we couldn't keep it going without you guys support so thank you very much for listening for as long as you have we've got something special coming up for episode 100 so uh, look forward to that in september it's been, it's um, been more like ne- two and a half years because it was uh it, oh, two and a half years. Yeah, it, was, Gosh, it, was, yeah. it was May of 2015 is when we started. Gosh, yeah, just oh, before man. I joined. Yeah, blimey. So two and a half years of listening. Even more thank you then for listening for so long and <laughs> putting up with all of us wonderful people. Um, so, as I said, 100 episode, 100 episode in a couple of weeks' time. Please look forward to that. We've got something really special in the pipeline for you. Uh, next week, though, um, we've already recorded this episode, actually. Um, 98 will be on Ultimate Weapons, so something a little bit different on the plate for you. Uh, really fun to record. There's a lot of bubbly, exciting opinions on that one, and some really unique discussions on there, so that's definitely one you should look out for. And our September game has finally been announced, so this is a game we've kind of stuck with a trend that we did a couple of years ago near the start. So we played Final Fantasy X was one of our first games on the podcast we did most of them played the hd remake um and this time another final fantasy game has just been remastered and re-released um so september's game is going to be final fantasy 12 and we've got uh, a different host on that i believe caitlin argyros is going to be hosting that one so she she is a person who has a lot to say about ff12 yeah so if you heard her on the xenogast podcast it's that level of enthusiasm so definitely one to listen out for i would really recommend it final fantasy 12 has kind of bowled me away replaying it this time so i'm really looking forward to those episodes and i hope you are too but yeah so ultimate weapons final fantasy 12 and episode 100 in that order so really thanks so much for supporting us and you can carry on supporting us if you have got any questions suggestions comments just pop us an email at retro at rpgfan.com uh, the mailbox um head mike will try to reply to you if you get through to him he's probably inundated with requests and love and everything not I'm inundated sure. but I, I i am usually pretty good about getting back to people <laughs> that, that uh that send an email or a message good good but we love to hear from you you can also yes. comment on our boards we have podcasts uh, we have some podcast boards on the forum so definitely make your voice heard on there we love hearing from the fans and even better, if you listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, any other various podcast listening venue, please give us a review. We love five stars, obviously, but absolutely anything. Feedback is very important to us. We really appreciate that. Um, so in terms of getting in touch with us personally, uh, Marcos, where can we find you on the boards, social media, everywhere? Well, for myself, you can um, Wild Armor on the boards if you want to message me on there. On Twitter, I'm at RhythmRoo. And that's about it you can get me uh, pretty easy on both of those good rhythm Ruth just flows every time i think i read your name i'm just like oh yeah it's good yeah that that's that's high level uh internet naming absolutely it is definitely is um so mike where can we find you right i'm monsoon on the forums i am at the real monsoon on twitter and my second weird twitter account for uh, for for Common Rider and Super Sentai and Heroes of the Storm <laughs> is at Evoker for Dogs. I do sometimes I get responses from both of your Twitters. Yeah, where you so, either like or retweet it twice, and I'm like, why? No, <laughs> r- really, it's because I switch between them, and when I'm examining my feeds, sometimes I'll forget I've liked something. <laughs> so uh, so <laughs> that, that's happened before, and I'll I'll like 
I'll maybe favorite someone's tweet as one and then switch names and then like reply to their tweet as the other one and it's confusing for everybody involved. It's awesome. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so, um, as I said at the beginning of the episode, you can find me on the boards at Diving Falcons. Give me an excuse to come back onto the boards because I don't go around there very often. I'd love to speak to some more people. You can also email me at um, alanah at rpgfan.com. I love hearing from you guys directly. I've had a couple of emails over the last couple of weeks. Always love talking to everybody. Or you can tweet me, which is probably the easiest way to get hold of me, um, at Alana Hagues. But really, thank you so much for listening for this long. Still a couple more episodes to go until our big celebration. So I hope you enjoy what we've got coming up in the next couple of weeks. We've got a busy schedule ahead of Retro Encounter and... Thanks for making these last two and a half years so fun. So I'll speak to you all soon. Hasta luego, everybody. Bye.